Hi, everybody. My name is Mike Sayers, and I'm going to be your sermonator today. Uh, if I um, quoted this film, I'm wondering if you know where the quote comes from. Lorraine, my density has brought me to you. What I meant to say is, my name is George. George McFly, and I'm your density. (laughs) Movie? Back to the Future, right. The first one. (laughs) Which brings up a lot of questions, doesn't it? I mean, that movie, in terms of what is density, what is destiny, rather. He's nervous because he was talking to his beautiful Lorraine. He didn't say it correctly. And what is not your, your destiny? Sometimes we Christians like to throw the word around predestination, you know. And, um, of course, that's always intention with free will. Like, is it my free will that I lift my arm up and down like this, or was that predestined that I do that? Is it predestined that uh, I married my wife? Or was that my choice? Bigger question yet. What, what about my faith in Christ? Didn't I decide at some point to find out more about Jesus and, and eventually commit my life to Him? Or was it somehow already decided well before I was born? And these are the questions we're going to talk about starting today. I mean, we're at the third verse of Ephesians. And we're already getting into it. So, uh, let's take a look at the Scripture today. That's the uh, title, Predestination. That's my station. And um, now, just little color code mystery here. You're going to see three different colors in the passage today. Verses 3 through 14 in the first chapter of Ephesians. Uh, And they're going to be color-coded. So when it's in white, Paul is primarily talking about God the Father. And um, when when it's yellow, he's primarily talking about Jesus Christ, God the Son. And then when it's blue, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So it's one of those places in the Scriptures where we get the notion of the Trinity. There's only a, a few places where it becomes super obvious. Um, the baptism of Jesus is one because you've got God saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. You've got Jesus there being baptized by John the Baptist. And then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on the whole Scene. And so that's another one. But I just want you to know, in case anybody ever questions your belief in a trinity, this is one of those passages where you can go. All right? All right, let's go to verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, These opening words are probably better translated, Bless worthy is God. 
that God is worthy to be praised and to be blessed by us because of what is about to follow. It's worship on the part of the Apostle Paul. He's got a pen. I'm sorry. He's got a stylus. He's got some parchment or he's got some scroll and he's writing things down and it's worship. Worship just is not singing at church on a Sunday. Because verses 3 through 14 are one long, giant, run-on sentence in Greek. The Apostle Paul came and stopped to take a breath. This whole passage is one giant sentence. Because he's worshiping. He's effusive. He's over the edge and overflowing. It's kind of an opening that is not unknown to uh, Jews. It's a form of a Jewish barakah or a blessing is the way it uh, opens up. And then the first thing he says, he talks about spiritual blessings, which is interesting that he doesn't talk about material blessings. That God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing as opposed to every material blessing. Now, there are some churches you will go to, frankly, where the services are more like multi-level marketing meetings than they are like worship services. They're talking about, you know, all the stuff that God has got for them. This is not one of those churches where you'll hear that. I mean, I, I don't deny that every good and perfect gift comes from God, whether it's a car or whether it's a child, whether it's wisdom or whether it's a trip to Disneyland. I mean, I think God is responsible for all those good things. But we're going to major in the spiritual blessings here. And notice that he says in the heavenly realms. He doesn't say in heaven. He says in the heavenly realms. Because this is the place where our spiritual conflict lies. We'll get into this as we go through the book. But there are spiritual battles that are being fought that are in the spiritual realms. There are powers and principalities, there are demons, there are angels, and we're part of this cosmic struggle, and this is kind of where all this stuff is taking place, in the spiritual, in the heavenly realms, rather. Not in heaven itself. So Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, it's kind of like the story from the Depression. True story. Most people have forgotten kind of what the Great Depression was, but the country was in a uh, giant recession that became a depression, and, and money didn't mean much anymore, and people were out of work, and times were hard. And then this story comes out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, when a timid old lady approaches the first desk that she sees in an insurance agency. And then she was asked what she wanted by the person at the desk. And so with a trembling hand, she opens up her purse, and she takes out 
an old insurance policy, and she explained regretfully that because of the Depression, she was unable to meet the current premium payments. She explained that it was hard for her to get work and that what little she did get was hardly enough to clothe and feed her and keep a roof over her head. After a quick investigation, uh, the clerk recognized that the policy was extremely valuable. He warned the old lady that she was making an unwise move to stop payment. Did not her husband have anything to say about this? It was his policy, and she was the beneficiary. My husband, the old lady said, oh, he's been dead for three years, she remarked sadly. Immediately, the company official went into action, and he soon discovered that the lady was indeed telling the truth, and what she didn't understand was that the policy was his, where she was the sole beneficiary. It wasn't for the both of them. The insurance company was then obligated to refund the overpaid premiums plus the full amount that the insurance policy was for. And this money was sufficient to keep this old widow in comfort for the rest of her life. As Christians, we have an insurance policy. And it became due the moment that Jesus died 2,000 years ago in Palestine. There are many, many people who continue to make payments on their own salvation. When frankly, all they need to do is accept the gift that is theirs through the death of Jesus Christ, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's excited about. Everything has been paid. There is a blessing that is now coming to us on a regular basis because of what Jesus Christ has done. His insurance policy, so to speak. But notice this only happens in Christ, in Him. That's the only place it happens. It doesn't happen if you're not in Him. We talked about that a bit last week. I can't show up at Heaven's Gate and, you know, reach into my uh, wallet and pull out my uh, cool scum-of-the-earth business card and present it at the gate and say, Hey, look, I'm Mike Sayers. I'm uh, the founding pastor of Scum-of-the-Earth Church, so I get to come in. That's not the way it works. There's only one way for entry into the everlasting kingdom, and that is through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight in love. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. Okay, I'm going to say the obvious here. God didn't choose us after we had cleaned ourselves up. After we had made ourselves presentable. After we finally got our crap together. That's not when he accepted us. The Bible, the rest of the Bible says that he chose us while we're still his enemies. And here's the deal. Not only were we chosen before the foundation of the earth, we continue to be chosen, we are being chosen, and we shall be chosen at the end of the age when the great judgment comes. We're in. We're chosen. The life of a Christian depends upon a love that is beyond a beginning and that will never end. Let me explain this. Your life as a Christian is dependent upon a love that is beyond a beginning and never ends. Now, this election in Jesus has got a moral kind of aim in view. And it says that we are chosen to be holy and blameless. Holy is from the Greek word agios. It means simply to be set apart. You were chosen to be set apart. Set apart from what? From everybody else? Set apart for a special purpose. You're chosen to be set apart for something. Not from something, for something. You are set apart for something. And you're called blameless. You're free from blemish. You're like one of the sacrificial animals in the Old Testament who would only be sacrificed if they were free from blemish. They were only good enough to be sacrificed. So that's the great news, is that you are set apart for a purpose, The um, sobering news is there might be some sacrifice involved. (laughs) Anybody feel like since you became a Christian that your life is like just continual sacrifice? Yeah. Like, uh, there are certain things we need to stop doing. There are certain things we need to start doing that we never did before. This involves sacrifice. Now, the end is joy, is happiness. It's this exciting worship that Paul's involved in. And all who are chosen for happiness as an end are also chosen to holiness as a means to that end. It's like my kids, when they are doing something I don't think is right, and they say to me, don't you want me to be happy? My response is always, look, of course I want you to be happy, but if I've got to choose, I'd rather have you holy. That doesn't get quite the reaction <laughs> that they were hoping for. And, and in verse 4, this is like before the creation of the world? Before the, I mean, seriously, before the creation of the world. Did you know that the Bible brings this up a lot in reference to Jesus? In Revelation, 
He's referred to as the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. In the first epistle of uh, Peter, he's referred to as the Lamb who was sacrificed and offered for us before the foundation of the earth. It was in the mind and it was in the heart of God that before a star was flung into orbit around the galaxies, that before any worlds were created to orbit around those stars, the purpose and plan of Almighty God was to choose you and to choose me. It's a big plan. It involves all of creation. We're going to see more as we go through the book. Verse 5. In love... I want to start with in love. Because frankly, in the Greek, you don't know whether the phrase in love is with verse 4 or with verse 5. My guess is it's with both. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Now, those of you who aren't men will notice that the word sonship is still there. Like, the translators didn't make it sonship and daughtership. There's a reason for that. And the reason was in the mind of the Apostle Paul as he was writing. He was thinking about Roman adoption. And a Roman adoption to sonship had all the rights and privileges that Paul wanted to express in this thing. Here's the weird deal. If you're an adopted child in the Roman world, you actually are more secure in your standing with your father and your mother than those children who are born naturally. Like, a Roman father had the ability to put his sons or his daughters to death. There was no court that would ever deny him that authority. but not so with an adopted son. You could not put an adopted son to death. Why? Because you chose. You chose. You went through a whole legal process to adopt that kid. So the weird thing about it is adopted kids had more rights, more security in the family than those who were born naturally. And Paul is saying we're all adopted to sonship. All of us. It's a very secure position. God's not going to snuff you out. Nothing can take you out of His hand. Not life. Not death. Not angels. Not demons. Not the present not the past, nothing. 
This is why predestination is so important. It gives us tremendous security in knowing that we're loved by God. To be predestined means you're going to make it. Do you ever wonder if whether you're going to make it the rest of your life as a Christian, loved by God? Predestination says you're going to make it. God chose you from before He formed the universe. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption. That's, that's a big word, right? It's one of those Christian words. We don't use redemption a lot unless you're redeeming a coupon or something. What does it mean? Redemption has to do with like freeing slaves in the ancient world. That's what Paul's talking about. Or freeing prisoners. Forgiveness is kind of loosing someone from the cords that bind him or her. That's forgiveness. Got a favorite story. I've told this since I was in college. And it illustrates redemption for me. There's a little boy. He lives in Ireland near the sea. And he loves watching the ships come in and leave. And he gets the idea to make a ship of his own. And so he gets wood and he gets glue and he gets string and he starts to work on this ship and he builds this beautiful ship with sails. And he's so excited about this ship that he's made and he's thinking, I want to see it float in the water. So he goes out to this little uh, inlet near his home where he's used to watching the ships. And the waters roll nice and calm. And so he, he gets down right there by the shore and he, he puts the boat in gently and it's floating. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It excites him to know when. Then all of a sudden this breeze comes up out of nowhere and it fills the sails of the boat and it takes the boat out into the bay. Way far away from him where he can't swim, he can't go get it. You just got to watch that ship get lost out in the big expanse of water. Years later, he's a grown man. He's in business. He's walking through town. He goes by a pawn shop. He looks in the window of the pawn shop and there's the boat that he had made as a kid in the pawn shop for an exorbitant amount of money. He's so excited, he goes into the shop and he talks to the shop owner and he says to the pawnbroker, hey, hey, that's my boat. I made it when I was a kid. I love that boat. Can I? It's mine. Could you have it? And the pawnbroker says, sorry, buddy, it's mine now. If you want it, you've got to pay for it. So he reaches into his bag and he pulls out his checkbook and he writes a check without blinking an eye for the total amount that the pawnbroker wanted. He's leaving with the ship under his arm. And he looks at the ship and he says, Now you're twice mine. I made you and I bought you. That's redemption, folks. 
buying back something that was rightfully yours to begin with. That's the picture of redemption in the New Testament when Jesus, who formed us, who knew us before the creation of the world, dies for us and buys us back from the prince of this world, the devil, who has taken us captive. I owed a debt that I could not pay. And Jesus paid my debt of sin with his blood. Verse 8. That he lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. That he lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. Now you could read this two ways, right? First of all, God's grace not only brings redemption and forgiveness, or redemption and forgiveness, but every kind of wisdom and insight as well. Wisdom, the Greek word Sophia, is the knowledge which can see into the heart of things and knows them as they really are. You can't fool wisdom. Insight is that kind of understanding which then translates into right action. Not only can you see the right thing to do, but you can do the right thing. Now, this sentence could mean that it was with God's own wisdom and insight that he lavished all this grace upon us, all these spiritual gifts upon us. But actually, uh, I think the context also supports the interpretation that wisdom and insight are themselves the spiritual gifts that God gives to us. The spiritual blessings that God gives to us. I don't know about you, but I am smarter now that I'm a Christian than I was before. I don't know how it happens, but God shows me things, not only about myself, about why I make certain choices, but about others, and to whom I should trust myself, and to whom I shouldn't. A lot of that wisdom And insight comes through the scriptures and the study of the Proverbs and things like that. But I want you to know that that if you want to lead a smarter, better life, God is all about that and gives us those kinds of gifts, part of the spiritual blessings that he was talking about. Verse 9, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. He made known to us the mystery of his will. What's the mystery of his will? Basically, it's that Jesus came and died for us. That there's no need to wait until Judgment Day to know what God's strategy is. We get to know stuff. Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So God's blessed worthiness, right, is because He has shown us in Christ and the church the beginnings of His master plan to restore the whole entire cosmos to Himself. 
that the harmony that was lost through the fall of mankind, through our sin, is going to be restored. I mean, if you look at Genesis, right? At the very beginning of Genesis, everything is under God's government, right? God is the head of the government, and Adam and Eve are the subjects. Everything works the way it's supposed to work, and then things go crazy, right, in Genesis 3. How does the Bible end? In Revelation, it ends with the government now finally being put under Jesus Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Everything gets put back under his feet. And Jesus rules. Interesting, isn't it? The beginning and the end look the same. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens in between, though. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In him we were also chosen. There's also there. Also means there was somebody else who was chosen. Who would that be, folks? Steve? The Jews. Right? In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Before time began, God marked out those who would be co-heirs with his son. We have not usurped Jewish privilege. God is not done with the Jews. I don't know exactly how that all comes down, but I know that he's not done with the Jews. The fact that there's still a people, that there's still a group of people from that many thousands of years ago who call themselves Jews, it's just simply astounding. I don't see any Sumerians running around, do you? I don't see any Hittites running around, do you? Jebusites? Termites? I mean, come on. You don't see those people anymore. Especially the ones who have lost their country for, oh, almost 2,000 years. The Jews only got Israel back in 1948. It's a freaking miracle. Why? Because God's not done with them. Verse 12. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory, 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It's, It's the hearing of the gospel that brings salvation. I want to underline that. It's the hearing of the gospel that brings salvation. This is how the Ephesians came to Christ. They embraced the word of truth that the Apostle Paul brought to them with his mouth. Okay, you've heard it said that St. Francis instructed his followers, go into the world and preach and when necessary use words. 
I don't know where he said that. Everybody thinks he said that. I'm not sure where he said that. Because the apostle, I'm sorry, because St. Francis is all about preaching. God is about preaching. Hearing and then faith and salvation are immediately followed by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. At the moment that the Ephesians believed, they received the Holy Spirit. Let me rephrase that for you. The moment that you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you received the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for a second blessing. You don't have to go someplace and pray another special prayer to get the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit the moment that you believed. Now, there are fillings of the Holy Spirit that happen as we do things, right? God gives special grace to do certain things, and for those certain things, He fills us with the Holy Spirit, the rest of the Scripture says. And so we can do those things. If you look at the life of the Apostle Peter, he was filled several times in the book of Acts to do certain things. Why did he get filled several times? Well, I think it's obvious that he leaks. If Peter leaked out the Holy Spirit, he needed to be refilled to do something else. I'm joking, but still, I'm making a point. We all have the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's a Verse 14. Having believed, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. This is all about what God has done for us, not what we ought to be doing for Him. Let me just really make that obvious. This causes Paul to worship. All that God is doing. Paul adds a further analogy. He says the Holy Spirit is a deposit. Earnest money. They had earnest money back then, just like we have it now. The Greek word is aravon. It's a commercial word. It means the first installment on something. It's a token payment that assures the vendor that you're going to pay the full amount someday. It's like putting something on layaway. Except you get to have it. It's not laid, it's la- means laid away in your closet. Interesting, uh, currently in modern Greek, Adavon really refers to an engagement or an engagement ring. Isn't that interesting? It's like... Here is a ring that's going to assure you that I intend to follow through with this relationship. We're going to have an engagement. It's a deposit on what's to come. We're going to get married. The Holy Spirit is a deposit on what's to come. We're going to get everything. Another story about a a wealthy man who calls his uh, faithful assistant into his office one day. And he says, Son, I've uh, put your name in my will. I want you to know that. And someday, 
Because we've been so close. Almost like father and son. Someday you're going to receive $1 million from my estate. Now, I'm hoping it'll be a while before you get that legacy. But I want to make you happy now. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you the interest on that million dollars every year until you finally get the million dollars. So here's a check for $16,000 as a starter. I would think that clerk would be extremely grateful. I mean, this prospect of the inheritance is wonderful news, but the fact that he gets to have 16 extra thousand dollars a year for doing nothing except being is amazing. As God's children, we can rejoice in the riches that we have right now in Christ. We've received the Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee of the exceeding, eternal weight of glory that our Heavenly Father will give one day to us. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. All right, so we've gone through the passage, and I want to kind of come back now to one idea, just to kind of tease it out a bit, and that's the idea of predestination. So let's go to the next slide. Free will or predestination. There are, are, are verses for both in the New Testament. All right? Here are a couple for free will. John 1, verses uh, 12 through 14. Yet to all who did receive him, that means Jesus, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Right? Now, those two verses, let's go back to those two verses. Those two verses, and there are others, really say, hey, you got a choice to make, right? That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying in the first chapter of Ephesians. Let's go to the next slide. As a review, Ephesians 1.4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In him, verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. All right. These two truths, 
the sovereignty of God and free moral agency of humans are two truths that we cannot reconcile. Next slide, please. These two things, the sovereignty of God and the free moral agency of humans, are two truths that we cannot reconcile. We just observe them. There is no conjunction-junction for this function. That's why this sermon is called Predestination. That's my station. I wish I could take those two lines, predestination and free will, and somehow make them come together for you. But I can't. It's kind of like if I took you out front of this building that God gave to us. We could stand out there and we could see a couple of corners. If we stood at 11th Avenue, we could see two corners of this building, right? But we could not see the other couple of corners from out there on 11th Avenue. If we came back into the backyard there by the garage, we might be able to see both corners. But we couldn't see the front corners. I cannot see all four sides of this building at the same time. But somebody above me, who is flying above this building, could look down upon the church building and see all four sides at once. And so it is with us. We cannot see but half of this mystery at any given time predestination, or free will. But Jesus, who is above us and presides over us, can see it all at the same time. Predestination. What's it good for? I'll tell you what it's good for. It's good for when you're afraid. When fear grips your soul. When despair clutches your heart. When you're worried that somehow Christianity and the kingdom and the church is going to be drowned in the flood of, of atheism or paganism or relativism that is kind of sweeping over the culture. When you think there's no hope for the future. Well, there wouldn't be. Except God's got a purpose, and God's got a plan. God's got election. God's got predestination. He's got it all planned out from before He created the earth. Be of good cheer, little flock, Jesus said. It is my Father's will that you should inherit the kingdom. Matthew 25. Be of good cheer, Jesus said again. In the world you'll have tribulation and trial, but I have overcome the world in John 16. <laughs> Scum of the earth, I want you to know that it's God's will that you will inherit the earth. That is predestination. That's election. And that is a great foundational truth that you can stand on. I want to quote John Piper to close. 
I mean, seriously, if you can't go to John Piper for predestination, I don't know what you go to him for. Before the creation of the universe, God thought of you. He fixed his gaze on you and chose you for himself. He did not choose you because you were already in Christ, but that you might be in Christ. He did not choose you because he saw you as a believer, but so that you might become a believer. He did not choose you because you chose him, but so that you might choose him. He did not choose you because you were holy or good, but so that you might become holy and good. Everything you are and all you hope to be are rooted in God's freely choosing you. And there is no ground for boasting except in God. In some ways, predestination is God's free will to choose you. When Jesus gathered with his little band of disciples that last night before he was crucified, he chose them so that they could choose him. He knew that some difficult times were about to befall them all. And so he, he took some bread, some normal everyday bread, some unleavened bread at the Passover meal. And he said, from now on, this is my body broken for you. I want you to remember that. And then he took the cup, the cup of redemption in the Passover meal. He says, from now on, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget that I chose you. Now, during uh, communion at Scum, uh, we'll usually have a couple stations. There'll be people down here in the lower level and some up here at the higher level. You just rip off a piece of the bread and you can dip it into the cup. Say a prayer right then. If you want to wait and go sit down in your seat and commune with God and then have some, that's fine. While the communion is going on, the band will be leading us in some musical worship. And there'll also be some folks back there in that little prayer cave. If you have something or someone you want prayed for, please feel free to go back and have someone pray with you. You don't have to, but you're welcome to. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the doctrine of predestination. Thank you for loving us so much that you would choose us. It's really good to be chosen. Thank you. Amen.